Let's remain at First John chapter 3. Pretty awesome verses, right? And uh, wonderful verses, wonderful truth. We'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper. And what a wonderful passage of scripture to turn to, to celebrate Jesus, the great sin and Satan destroyer. Jesus, the great sin and Satan destroyer. So the verses were just read, and we're going to go through them again, portions at a time. I'm going to read the first three verses uh, and amplify it with drawing from some other translations as well. Uh, The KJV says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons, the sons and daughters of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. The world does not recognize us. That is simply because it did not recognize him. Verse 2. Beloved, now we are the sons or the sons and daughters of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. We're God's children now. What we shall be has not been revealed, has not been disclosed. But we know that when we shall that when he shall appear we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is and every man that has his hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure or every man who has this hope with regard to Christ tries to make himself pure as Christ is pure. Looking there at verse 1 and 2, one of the first things that we see that Jesus comes to destroy is that he destroys, we're not going to like this, maybe some of us won't, he destroys friendship with the world. He destroys friendship with the world. The world didn't know him. Didn't like him. Crucified him. And the more we're like Jesus, the more they'll treat us like they treated Jesus. Uh, Galatians 6.14 God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ by which the world is crucified to me and I to the world. And let's be honest, we, we, we like to be liked by the world. And many churches do a lot of things to try to be liked by the world. To be accepted by the world. We don't like being different. Now, what if you'd walked in this morning and there were 500 rubber ducks on the podium? 
Would you be scratching your head? I can't just say scratching your hair because out of preference to some of us. Do you know that at least in some counties that Jeep lovers love rubber ducks and have them in their Jeeps? Now, if you have a Jeep and you have a rubber duck in your Jeep, I have no problem. We're not against rubber ducks. But is that the way we're to reach the world? Find out what the world likes, find out what the world loves, and even if it's rubber ducks, come up with some gimmick. You say, did you make this up? No. I read it in a Christian magazine as they were rejoicing in how that this pastor had led his church to have more contact with the world by loving the world with what they love. Uh, we need more contact with the world. We need to give the gospel to the world. We need to live the gospel before the world. So, in verse 2 and 3, we notice this positive thing that the hope of the Christian is the hope of Christ's return and that it is inward motivation, frankly, to be different from the world. Uh, to win battles over the filth of the world. The Father's love and the return of Jesus Christ are grand sources of genuine hope for the days in which we live. Sons and daughters of God, living, bearing likeness to the one whom the world hates, longing for his return, seeking to be like him, having the hope that we're going to be as he is, so this is, this is wonderful, and we need to have this in our minds and hearts. This is, this is core essential Christianity. Uh, if you're struggling with, with overcoming the world, something has our heart. And sadly, when it comes to the return of Christ, people, many people do not look to that subject without getting diverted. The purpose of this, a grand purpose of uh, bringing this before our attention, the purpose of the Holy Spirit bringing it before the attention of the people who first got this letter was that this is a purifying hope. But sadly for many people, it's a doctrine about which people love to debate and present views and present this and present this and... and Mispurification. Miss a dwindling love for the world. Miss a longing to see him and to be like him. So, looking at the next verses and drawing from some additional translations to help a little bit, beginning with verse. Five with, with verse 4, whosoever committeth sin, and uh, when you read the King James, 
translation of this, you're, you're, you're left, if you just take it as it appears to be, you're left with sinless perfection. And yet we know that that can't be right and when you uh, have the benefit of knowing what some of the Greek tenses were. Some of the, some of the other translations bring it out. Whosoever committeth sin transgresses the law. Everyone who, sin, who lives sinfully is living in violation of the law, the law of God. For, you ever wondered what sin is? Sin is the transgression of the law. And verse 5, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. Now again, we've run into a problem. Let's be honest. There's a lot of sins that we love. And we minimize the fact that they're sins. We might even deny that they're sins. But Jesus came on a mission to destroy sin in the hearts and lives of his children. He was manifested for that purpose. Verse 6, whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Sinless perfection? No. Does not habitually sin as a lifestyle. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Better translation, whoever lives in sin as a lifestyle has not seen or come to know him. Verse 7. Little children, let no man deceive you. There are several times in the New Testament when the Spirit of God will lead one of the apostles to say, don't, don't be deceived. Why would he say that? It's a common place of deception. So we need to have our antennas perked up. People are greatly deceived about these things. Let no one deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous even as he, Jesus, is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. The man whose life is habitually sinful is spiritually the son of the devil. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. As we come to the Lord's table today, we're coming rejoicing in that Jesus came to work some incredible purposes in our life. As glorious as it is, is that he has destroyed sin's penalty, it surely doesn't stop there. He destroys the sin in our lives. He destroys Satan's stronghold. Jesus came that he might destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9, whoever is born of God does not commit sin, does not continue on sinning. Why? For his seed remaineth in him, because the very nature of God dwells within him. So it's an impossibility for a person to be a genuine Christian and have no release from the dominion of sin. 
Because a Christian is one who has been impregnated with the life of God. And so, whoever is born of God, whoever is a child of God, cannot go on sinning because the very nature of God dwells within him. He cannot commit sin, he cannot practice sinning because he is born of God. Verse 10, and in this the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. There are two kinds of people on the earth. Those who are in Christ and those who aren't. Those who are in the kingdom of Satan, those who are in the kingdom of God. Those who are the children of the devil, those who are the children of God. And there's a difference. Now, you could get a roll of all the church members. This is limited to Baptists. What does that tell you? It tells you that they're Baptists. It doesn't tell you from the preacher to the back pew whether or not they're children of the devil, a child of the devil, or a child, or child of God. Is it important to know which one you are? In this the children of God are manifest. By this the, ch- the children of God are distinguished from the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God. It's a way of life. Neither he that loveth not his brother. So these are very strong, very powerful, very uh, just right in front of you. It, it, It doesn't take rocket science to understand what God is saying. It does take the grace of God to be able to do more than hear it with our ears. And so, when Jesus came to Bethlehem's manger and Calvary's cross, there was a mission. Verse 5, he came to take away our sins. And, verse 8, he came to destroy the works of the devil. Not only by paying the sinner's sin debt, but by indwelling his blood-bought temples with his Holy Spirit, so that by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, Jesus, will repeat ourselves over and again so we can get this, Jesus destroys penalty, pen, sin's penalty, yes. He destroys also our slavery to sin. He destroys the dominating power of sin. He destroys our love for sin. And and this is important. If you're here and a part of your struggle is that the sin that has had you, you love it. Jesus comes to destroy that. And you should not be content with your relationship with Jesus Christ unless you are experiencing the destroying work of Jesus Christ. So, verse 5, again, this is the message which we have heard of him and which we declare unto you. That's in chapter 1. In verse 
5 of chapter 3, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. In verse 8, the Son of God came to earth to destroy the works of the devil. So this brings us to a reality. There are lots of people who do lots of things and the, when the calendar year calls for it relating to the birth of Christ and the death of Christ. But no one, I don't care who you are, the only people who ever experienced the purpose of the birth of Christ and the cross of Christ are those who have come to a place in their lives where they confess, I have something that needs to be destroyed. And Jesus came to destroy it. Oh, I just don't want to go to hell, and I want to go to heaven, and I'll pray this little prayer, and I'll, I'll be baptized, and, and, and I believe all this, and, and I have this favorite kind of music. What's been destroyed? What is being destroyed in your life? Is sin destroyed? Is sin being destroyed in your life? Jesus saves by destroying. Well, I know I'm saved. What's been destroyed? What's being destroyed? Do we welcome Jesus as the great destroyer of sin? Not just generic sin, my sin. Attitudes, actions, habits. Do I welcome Jesus as the destroyer of the works of the devil? That's why Jesus came. You say, well, what are the works of the devil? Verse 8. He who, he who commits sin is of the devil. He who is enslaved by sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. From the beginning of his rebellion, Satan began to instigate sin. He was not happy just to do it by himself. He wants to bring all he can along with him. And if you notice that people who are engulfed in sin love to have others join them. I can still remember a man that we ministered to, a whole family we ministered to when we were at Hartsville many years ago. And this hardworking construction guy had basically been a drunkard all of his life and barely able to hold a job. And every afternoon after work, the people he rode with, they'd stop at the bars. Well, he made a profession of faith. He made some steps toward Jesus. He was listening to the gospel. And I said, uh, I'll call him Sam. I said, Sam, I know it'll cost more money, but you need to drive to work yourself. You don't need to ride with those guys. Because they were insisting... It was their vehicle. They were insisting on stopping at the bar every evening. And he had started out just getting tea or Coke or something, whatever they would have along that line. And they kept taunting him and they kept pressing on him. And it wasn't long that he was right back where he had always been. There's no people more evangelistic than those who are slaves to sin. They don't want to sin by themselves. 
The Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9, no one born of God commits or practices sin, for God's nature abides in him. He cannot practice sin. This is not just a teaching in John in, in Romans chapter 6. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are whom you obey, whether of sin to death or of obedience unto righteousness? For sin, speaking to the Christian, for sin shall not have dominion over you. For you're no longer under the law, but under grace. You're not trying to roll up your sleeves and be good, nor are you under the law and dominion of sin. Now being made free from sin, you became the servants of God. The devil sins, and those who practice sin are his. Who's am I this morning? Jesus taught the same thing in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. And you all maybe be thinking already, well, I can see some people oh, just in the gutters of sin, and, and it's pretty obvious to anybody that... Uh, that they're slaves to sin, and I wouldn't think for a moment, I know I can't see their heart, but I, don't, I wouldn't think for a moment that they'd be in heaven. Who did Jesus use as an example? He used as an example people who were preaching, casting out demons, doing wonderful works in the name of Jesus. Now somebody comes along like that, oh man, they're from God, no doubt about it. And they'll write books, and they'll have the world by the tail, the religious world. When they speak, everybody's listening. But Jesus said, many, not a few, will stand before him one day and say, Lord, 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 we, we cast out demons, we preach, we did wonderful works. He said, I never knew you. How can that be, you workers of iniquity? The old double life might not be seen by untrained eyes and unanointed un eyes. But the land is filled with people from the pulpit to the back pew who do wonderful things religious things, good things. And Jesus says, I don't know you. I never knew you. You didn't have something and lost it. You are a worker of iniquity. You're preaching one thing, living another. So here in First John, same message. The devil sins, and those who practice sin are his. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God practices sin. The sin, the little sins that even the Christian, the genuine Christian, makes light of. We've all been there, right? 
Want some help in winning the victory? We're doing the devil's work when we sin. Are you slandering someone? He's a slanderer. Am I doing the devil's work? I need to stop it. I don't need to go to counseling. I need to stop it. The Spirit of God lives within me. I've been bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Stop it. Put off the old man. Put on the new man. Walk with Jesus. The Son of God came to destroy not just the guilt of sin, not just the penalty of sin, but he destroys sinning. My sinning. Your sinning. Do we have perfection in this battle? No. But am I even dressed in armor and fighting? The sign of a Christian is they're fighting. They may be bloody. They may have just lost a big battle. But they're not making excuses. Not blaming somebody else. They're fighting against it. They hate that they did it. They're grieved that they sinned against God. They grieved that they kissed the devil. That lie that she just told. It's just like walking up to the devil and hugging him. Embracing the essence of who he is. He's a liar and the father of him. So when I lie, I'm embracing the devil. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so when I embrace the truth, I'm bowing before Jesus, I'm worshiping Jesus, I'm serving him. Now, but again, what is sin? Verse 4, everyone who sins transgresses the law. We're not left to figure out what is or is not sin. Basically, the Ten Commandments sum up the core essence of sin and of lawlessness. Lawlessness is living as though my ideas are better than God's. I don't know of any of us that would say that. We would not shake our fists at God and say, eh, you can say what you want to, but I've got a better idea. No, we wouldn't. We're not that brass. But we're just like Eve. We know what God has said. But there's a whisper in our ear that God is not telling you the whole truth. God doesn't really mean what he says in the word. Lawlessness replaces God's law with our own desires. We become a law to ourselves. It's rebellion against the right of God to make laws and to govern his creatures. Lawlessness is an active Hatred of God, an active expression of hatred. You know, one of our problems is we minimize sin. We don't see it for what it is. What did Jesus say? If you blank, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. What's the opposite of love? It's hate. Oh, Lord God. I've just been hating you. I've just been hugging the devil. I've been doing the devil's work. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that goes on cleansing. I repent. 
Lawlessness is rebellion. Lawlessness is, according to the word of God, like witchcraft. If any one of you had come in this morning and the spouse of any one of you or your neighbor, but especially a family member, had brought in all the stuff of witchcraft and set up a whole room uh, to be dedicated to witchcraft and, and, and all of that, uh, you would come in this morning, you'd have already been dealing with it. You would not call somebody to spread a rumor, but I need help. I'm deeply alarmed. My beloved is given over to witchcraft. Maybe we should go home and look in the mirror and say, oh, Lord God, I've been making light of sin. I've been lawless. I've been putting my ideas above what God plainly says. He says, witchcraft. This is serious business. I repent. How does all this make you feel this morning? You say, well, I feel condemned. God's word never is given to us to make us feel condemned. But convicted. Because he wants to set us free. You say, well, I've had a bad week of serious failures. No, I've had a bad week of lawlessness. See how we smooth it over? I didn't do everything right. I had some failures. I didn't do quite all I should have. No, Lord God, I've sinned against you. Jesus came to destroy our sinning. We need a fresh connection with Jesus. We need to break down the barriers that's put up a hindrance between us. Now, let's think for a moment of how Jesus destroyed the works of Satan. Look at verse 8. How did he do it? It says, the Son of Man appeared to destroy the works of the devil. He came. He appeared. He came from heaven, born in the form of, in the form of a man. The Holy Spirit through John has in mind here not just the arrival and the appearance of the Son of God, but also that he, by his living and dying and rising from the grave, destroyed the works of the devil. He came. He was on a mission. He carried out his mission. He came to live, to die, to rise again. He came to destroy and did destroy the works of Satan And after he ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit. This is how he destroys sin. Am I yielding to the resurrected Christ? Am I, is my body his temple? Is sin being destroyed in my life? You say, well, I know some other people, their sin needs to be destroyed. It's causing me a fit. You'll have to leave them with God. You can be in some painful situations this morning from the sins of other people. You can pray for them. You can love them. You can bless them. You can do good to them. And you can say, Lord, vengeance is yours. 
But the only one who is hampered by sin that you can really deal with personally is yourself. Now, verse 9, no one born of God commits or practices sin. Sin is conquered. We're literally taken out of one kingdom and placed in another. And so there, there are two ways by which the works of, devil and, of the devil and sin are destroyed and is set forth in these verses. One is by appearing, and the other is by the new birth. Look at verse 9 in chapter 3. Because it's not enough for Jesus to appear and to do all he did. There must be new birth. No one born of God practices sin. There has to be new birth. Well, I'm religious. I'm a Baptist. I'm a preacher. There has to be new birth. I'm Nicodemus. There has to be new birth. No one born of God practices sin for God's nature, literally God's seed abides in him and he cannot sin as a lifestyle because he is born of God. So in these verses, these verses are telling us that a person born of God cannot go on sinning as a dominated lifestyle, lifestyle that is dominated by sin. Because when God saved you, Something new took place. You're what Ephesians 2 calls a new creation. You're given what Jeremiah calls a new heart. Ezekiel refers to a new spirit. Being born of God, we're changed by God so that the, the dominion of sin is broken. Sin shall no longer have dominion over you. That's what Romans 6 tells us. It's being changed by God so that when a person is born of God, God's, verse 9, is telling us that God's seed abides in him. The very life of God is now in your soul. You're not the person you were before you were born again. God's character, the very opposite of sin, is in the child of God by his Holy Spirit. You cannot continue practicing sin, and if you try, you can be chastened, even to the point of death. Now, again, the, it's important to deal with these verses uh, in a way that, that is accurate. Um, as we've been indicating, this verse could be translated this way. No one born of God is content to keep sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot be content to keep on sinning because he's born of God. In Sunday school this morning, we took a little side journey to make a point, And we went to Psalm 32. And it's a part of King David's prayer of, of repentance and of rejoicing in forgiveness. 
And he tells that when he was not repenting, he was in deep agony, groaning. He was physically, emotionally, spiritually distraught. But then when he repented, glorious restoration. The sign that he was not a pretender was that for all those years between his great sin and his confession and repentance, he was an unhappy camper. The person who's not a genuine Christian, sin doesn't bother. May bother about the temporary consequences, but kind of gets things in order and keeps on trucking. But the child of God, who is out of fellowship with God, is one of the most miserable people on the face of the earth. Because you know you're not where you need to be. And I want to say, my dear friends, that is a glorious thing. The last thing you need is someone to smooth that over. The last thing you need is to turn up the music, turn up the entertainment, and to hide the conviction or to minimize the conviction of sin. It's a wonderful gift of God. Just like pain says to your body, hey, something is wrong. Guilt, conviction of sin is God saying, you're mine and something is wrong. So this is not teaching sinless perfection, but it is teaching a life that is being transformed by the destructive work of the Son of God who destroys sin, who destroys the works of the devil, uh, and he destroys by appearing, appearing in flesh and blood, tempted in all points as we, yet without sin, going to the cross on our behalf. He destroys by the miracle of new birth, that when we're born again, we cannot sin as an ongoing lifestyle. If you're content to go on sinning, excusing your sin, blaming others for your sin, you do not repent, you're revealing that you're not a child of God. Now, I'm not going to come up to you and say that. That's not my business. But you could be in such a state that I would give you those verses and say, you better apply the word of God. I don't know what it's going to be. But this is the word of God. You're manifesting the appearance of someone who's not born again. God knows, and you better find out. We began this morning by saying that the only people who experience a real meaning of the birth of Christ and the death of Christ are those who know and confess that they have something that needs to be destroyed. Being a Christian is not just being scared in late October by a church-sponsored hell house. I don't think they're doing that much anymore. They may be. They run you through all this and try to scare the hell out of you. And then they lead you through a prayer and pronounce all of you saved. I hate to admit it, but it's true. This this auditorium used to have a lot more pews than it has now. We could seat easily 
I say easily, cramped 400 people. And on a particular night, we had 400 people in here. And we had about 75 to 100 kids back in the back because we were showing a movie called The Burning Hell. And the actual producer of the film was here, and he took 45 minutes telling how great he was, and then we had this film, and by this time the kids were already out, but they didn't come in here. But I found myself praying the whole time. Lord, please deliver us from this. This is not you. This is not your way. They tried their best to get just about everybody in the whole building down the aisle, but very few came. And frankly, I was glad. It's just not God's way. Jesus came... Not to deliver you from the... Hell is real. But he didn't come and say or have John write, I'm I'm sending you this letter because I I want you to escape hell. No, I'm telling you that Jesus came to destroy sin. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. There's lots of people who would be happy to miss hell, but they're not ready to part with their sin. What is God saying to us this morning? God took sin seriously. We need to. You want to know how serious he took it? That's what we're coming to celebrate. There was no other way, there was no other name under heaven given among men whereby we could be saved from the penalty of sin, from the dominion of sin, from the love of sin. And when Jesus comes in, hallelujah, he does it all. He gives you a new heart. You have a new seed. You have the very life of God in you. You are a child of God and you have a desire in your heart. I'll have a desire in my heart because of the scriptures we've dealt with this morning to go out this coming week and sin less. And be more alert to the war zone. And more alert to the opportunity to manifest Christ. Even though the more we manifest Christ, the more likely we're going to have the same reception that Jesus had. But what an honor. So as we come to the Lord's table, let us come with a profound sense of gratitude. Let us come with a profound sense of, of, of humility. Let us come with a profound sense, Lord. I need in this coming week to take some things seriously, to look at them differently than I have been. I've been excusing sins. I've been excusing attitudes because of what they did or what they did not do. And Lord, you're just dealing with me. You said, they're, they're my business. You, I want you to deal. You got squeezed and we see what come out and it wasn't like Jesus. And so Lord Jesus, 
I want to thank you that you're not condemning me. You're saying, my child, I love you. And I want you to take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I'm meek and lowly of heart. You'll find rest for your souls as you walk in my steps. This table is rejoicing in what he's done for us and what he is present in dwelling us to do for us this coming week. Our Father, we bless you and we praise you for Jesus, the great destroyer of sin, our sin, and of Satan. We bless you for the miracle of your grace. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.